Amen. Hello, ACAC family. What a wonderful video to start a day like today. Uh, whether you're here in the sanctuary or worshiping online, I bring you greetings from Fellowship 412. And I must begin with a shout out to our Fellowship 412 family, that worshiping God, honoring God, loving God, praising congregation that I love. Uh, so much. And of course, I bring a good social distance hug from my pastor, Sheldon Williams, as we both honor our senior pastor, Alan Hanna. Uh, I can't take this blessed opportunity for granted, so I, I have to just take a moment and thank God for this, because it's a blessing to be able to stand before God's people, bring God's word, and be trusted with this podium. Uh, so I am just excited because it is sanctity of life weekend and that is a wonderful gift it's a wonderful gift to be able to talk to you on a uh, such a powerful time so okay to the word good grief is the title that came up for me anyone who can remember charlie brown uh, anything that could go wrong did with charlie brown i hope i'm not dating myself and going back too far for some people who don't remember but if you remember his teacher and i call her dr mumbles because she won't 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 right so Anytime she, he would want to have a big game or something like that, she would give extra homework. Or if he was playing baseball, the, the, the ball would literally jump out of his glove, right? Everybody remember that? Remember when he would kick the ball, try to kick the football, and Lucy or Peppermint Patty, whoever was playing with him, would take it so he would fall flat on his head. So he had a saying, and his saying was... Thank you. <laughs> so that's the comic reminder for those of us old enough to remember. But Good Grief is also the title of a wonderful book. It is a quick read for those of us that are grieving. It's by uh, Granger Westberg is his name. And he talks, he arms you with the tools for fighting through grief because that is such a difficult fight. Uh, anyone who has last some, lost someone, and that includes all of us, correct? Anyone who has lost someone can agree to the pain and agony that can accompany that loss. So the purpose of today's message is to talk about good grief because we want to see God's plan for grieving well. Please join me in prayer. Father God, we thank you for this time, for this moment that's set aside for us to hear directly from you. So we ask you to speak directly to each individual in this room. Give them the exact word that they need to hear. Help them to be vulnerable and open to hear it. And then you do the work of healing in broken hearts, in any broken space. You come in, you join us, you rest, rule, reign, and abide. And we thank you for all that you're going to do because we claim it as done. Hide flesh behind the cross. Don't allow it to glory in your sight, but only you be glorified today. And in Jesus' name I pray, amen. So today is the Sanctity of Life weekend, and the crux of this movement is a fact that God shared ever so poignantly with my husband a few years ago, and that is, since man cannot create life, he has no right to destroy it. The scripture reference for today, and I'm going back again, so anybody who remembers Bible Bucks, this scripture reference will win you all the Bible Bucks in the land, right? This scripture reference is John 11 and 35. Easy to memorize, right? Why? Because it is Jesus wept. Drop your mic, walk off the stage, right? You now, know, you now have memorized the Bible. 
But seriously, Jesus was the most mighty, powerful uh, superhero ever to walk the face of the earth. He was literally humanity wrapped up in divinity and divinity wrapped up in humanity. Marvel has nothing on Christ. This man actually cried when he took note of the loss of his good friend Lazarus, right? This was a Romans 12, 15 moment in living color because Jesus took the time to feel and to weep with those who weep and to mourn with those who mourn. His humanity took over and he allowed himself to be vulnerable in front of everybody, if only for a moment. He knew his divine self was going to raise Lazarus from the dead, right? He knew he had that power. But at the same time, he allowed himself to grieve and to cry what a lot of us don't allow ourselves to do. So sanctity of life deals directly with the fact that human life is sacred, holy, precious, regardless of how valuable we think it is. And Jesus shines the light on this fact when he took this human moment to actually grieve publicly. Uh, as Pastor Allen told us a couple years back on Sanctity of Life weekend, it is a great, uh, sorry, cradle to the grave and a womb to tomb provision. He also emphasized the fact that Sanctity of Life is not a pro-infant, but it is a pro-life view at every stage and every age. This becomes sticky for some people. I've not, been here to, I've not been sent here to go into any politics, but rather the humanity involved. We as Christians are to love our neighbors as ourselves, correct? There's no parameters around it. There's no love that neighbor as yourself if, if he's nice, if she bakes cookies, if when it is five, seven, 12 inches of snow outside, he comes with his new snowblower and blows the snow off your trap. That's not a parameter or better yet, if they don't park in your parking space after you put your chair in it after two hours of shoveling, come on Pittsburgh. It is simply love our neighbors as ourselves. So as we go into today's conversation, remember first of all, shame is not an option. That is not why we're here. This is a topic that can often elicit shame. Some things rise up. If it tries to sneak in, remember there is therefore now no condemnation to those that are in Christ. Let that be the thing you hold on to from Romans. So we'll be talking about some uncomfortable stuff, very personal issues. So center yourself on the love of Christ and allow yourself to get the feels, to feel the feelings yourself as well as extend empathy to those in different situations than yours. Our goal is to share the grace and the love of Christ. And I also challenge you to try a not wrong, not wrong, just different perspective when dealing with God's people, because when we know better, we can do better. I open with the reality that death is inevitable. We all get to participate in this wonderful circle of life. I hear the Lion King in the background, right? Ecclesiastes 3, it says it best to everything there is a season. And it goes on to say a time to be born and a time to die. After we're born, we get to choose how we live, where we live, who we surround ourselves with. We in this land of the free and home of the brave also get to choose what we believe, how we practice what we believe, and we even get to do our beliefs our own way. It's almost like Burger King spirituality. Have it your way, right? 
We do not, however, get to choose how and when we die for the most part. I'll reiterate, we did not create life, so we cannot destroy it. So take today as another. I'm just going to keep throwing challenges out to you to consider another side of this debate. Hear me clearly. We as Christians are pro-life for life, but we are fallible humans who must die to sin daily. So let's grapple with some of this stuff. The known arguments show some standing up loud and proud against abortion because those precious little lives are important, and they are. This is vital to our pro-life stance, and could we also take the time to think about those being gunned down in the streets by those called to protect them? Are their lives important? What about those who are incarcerated, those criminals, thieves, even murderers, whether repentant or without remorse, are their lives important? What about a child who the doctors know without a shadow of a doubt will suffer from some debilitating disorder? They can even tell the mother when the child is in the womb and they say things like, they'll never achieve true quality of life, right? Are their lives important? And what about those who have made their peace with God, they've made their peace with their disease, and they've asked for God to take them now. They've asked for no machines, no assistance, no resuscitation, or even deeper. They've asked for assistance to leave this world because they're tired of fighting. Are their lives important? There are so many sides to this sanctity of life coin that this can never be a black or white, all or nothing issue. There will always be varying opinions and feelings about it. How and ever I come to speak to the grief that follows all of this loss. I also come to speak to the grace that we as Christians must learn to extend to both ourselves and to others. So grief and grace go together, right? Since we all get the opportunity to die, we'll also get the opportunity to grieve. I think the arguments of which side you stand on are important, especially for you. However, no matter which side you stand on, what you believe, who you feel is right, who you feel is wrong, we all share that common strand of grief. And we all need the grace and to extend grace in the midst of that. So regardless of how you view sanctity of life, I wonder if we should also add to truly value life, we must view it through the lens of our impending death. Remember, there's someone to grieve almost every loss of life. Some grieve well, some not so well. Some grieve cute and quietly, some grieve real boisterously, right? But we all will experience grief in some form. So the commonality of sanctity of life and the right we rarely talk about is the right to grieve. In the words of Franklin, Les Brown, Leo Buscaglia, and uh, even Anthony Hopkins, no one gets out of this life alive. This almost guarantees that we'll grieve for someone at some point despite how we choose to do it. So what is grief? Uh, Many of you know Kubler-Ross, she joined with a young man named Kessler, and their definition was grief is intense emotional response to the pain of loss. They even go on to say what I like a little bit better is an emotional, spiritual, and psychological journey to healing. So no one takes a life, whether womb, tomb, or somewhere in the middle without experiencing that loss. 
Yes, calluses form for people who have to do it on a regular basis, you know, medical personnel, military, uh, people in law enforcement. They, they kind of get accustomed to it. We try to tell ourselves these powerful stories and convince ourselves that it was necessary and it was for the greater good, but the reality is a healing process needs to take place even for them. There's no timeline for how and when grief will impact you. So allow me to digress a little bit. We've politicized the issues related to death, to loss of life, to removing a human from this world as we know it, right? The politics have hardened our hearts. Behind the politics, behind the protests, behind the media blast and the courtroom antics, what do those humans really feel? When they process what occurred, if Jesus could pause in grief, what about us? What does someone, anybody feel when they realize they've taken a life? Are they haunted by the memory of that interaction? What's the midnight hour internal conversation of the family of that deceased individual? What does that young lady feel when she emerges from the abortion clinic? What does the family feel when they abide by that DNR, that do not resuscitate order? What about the person battling with wanting to live or die due to illness? What will you allow yourself to feel? The emotions tied up in some of these sticky situations include anger, pain, loneliness, guilt, anxiety. I could go on and on and on. And then there's the self-inflicted pain of judgment that says, I don't have time to feel this. I got to go to work. Life goes on. People die. That's what they do, right? Or worse, how about this one? When are you going to get over it? Dealing with grief is just as difficult as just living in the lie that we are okay. I'm good. Isn't that what we say? I'm good. I'm good. It's okay to not be okay. So an example from my life includes our Brookie Bear. Everybody knows Brookie Bear. So many know the story of beautiful Brooklyn, the tiny little warrior princess who fought for life every moment until she took her last breath, right? Uh, many don't know the battle it takes for parents of a medically fragile baby to agree to a DNR, to a do not resuscitate order. So this is the child they carry, they nurture, they loved, and then they have to sign this agreement that says, if something happens to this child, this precious baby, do not resuscitate them. My daughter, Sheltea, had to make this bold and brave statement that she did not want the medical team to resuscitate this perfect, precious baby ever again. So in the movies, we watch CPR, and we see it's pretty, it's beautiful. Everybody is pumping and counting, and the guy goes, <laughs> and then he comes back to life, right? Everybody claps, and everybody breathes a sigh of relief. This is not what happens in real life. In real life, this is a violent act. You watch a group of doctors tag team one another as they pump to exhaustion on the chest of this little teeny tiny princess in order to save her life. Not to mention the permanent bruises she had left behind. I don't know if those of you who don't know, she was 21 months when she passed away. So all of this occurred before that time. So think about the size of this baby and the bruises that she carried um, all that time. So my daughter realized Brooklyn was not meant to be kept alive by a litany of machines, but rather by a miracle-working God. And she was courageous enough to know when enough 
was enough. This decision, I am sure, has haunted her and she lives in the what ifs and what I shoulda, coulda, woulda done over and over in her head. But I'm here to tell her and any of you that had to make that decision, God sees you, God knows you, God hears you. Your pain is his. He has stamped a stamp of well done on that decision and he is here to love on you. So as for me, my story as a daddyless daughter and a little girl who was violated by one she was supposed to be able to trust, I spent a good portion of my life looking for love in all the wrong places with God being that good, good father that he is regardless of what we do. Uh, he blessed me with a wonderful boyfriend in my teenage years. But me being the you know, untrusting young girl with abandonment issues that I was, I found myself in many textbook situations to include teenage pregnancy and abortion. I had a plan in mind to go to school. I was going to college, I was going to become a teacher, I was gonna get this teaching position and everything was gonna be great. Uh, I was in this wonderful, committed relationship and everything was good, but a baby at that point was just not an option. Romans 7 speaks of the fact that I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, that I keep doing. That was the story of my life. I wanted to follow Christ. I, I, I don't want to say I found him because he wasn't lost, but I made my way to Christ as a teenager, but I was drawn to try to fill all of these holes in me with other vices. Abortion was the easy way out for me. It helped me to complete school. It helped me to fulfill all of those goals I had. I put checks in boxes, right? I even became a pseudo advocate. I was telling other people, girl, don't even, mm -mm, you come on down here. Horrible, I know. Um, it, I couldn't though be prepared for the pain and anguish I was going to experience in the midnight hour when I realized what I had done, the choice that I had make. I realized watching my children grow up and wondering what it would be like for their siblings, their aborted siblings to be there with them. And yes, I said siblings because I got so comfortable with that choice that I went back for a second round. This is not the story for everyone. I can't say that everyone will make this drastic choice. And I can't say that everyone who makes this choice will suffer with the emotional complications that I did. I will say that everyone will feel something. What will you allow yourself to feel? If one in four women have an abortion by the time that they're 45, look around not judgmentally, but mathematically, this is happening. So my question again, what will you allow yourself to feel? Brene Brown says this like poignantly. She says we run from anger and grief straight into the arms of perfectionism and our desperate need for control. Our difficulty with all of these hot topic items is our lack of control. I ran toward perfectionism and I, I'm running still and trying to avoid that pain with perfectionism in order to gain some warped sense of control. I must add for someone who may go through the same situation that I did, that midnight hour pain that you just can't explain, that is termed PAS, there is a name for it, it's post-abortion syndrome. 
I will also add that some professionals call it fake and believe it is a disorder created by the pro-life movement. As a, metal, as a mental health professional, I also have to share that it is not identified in the DSM-5. I, however, experienced it firsthand, so this unicorn is real for me. I went through extensive counseling, prayer, deliverance to get to the point where I could even talk about it openly, right? Now I'm daily walking in or trying to walk in the stance of being forgiven and set free, and I'm constantly making the choice to heal. And those are also two resources for anyone struggling with that same choice. So to the psychological, William Warden is a psychologist and specialist in the process of grief. He developed this uh, nonlinear plan of four tasks for grieving well, to process our grief with grace. So let's look at Warden's plan and infuse God's word. So Warden's four tasks are accepting the reality of the loss, processing the pain, adjusting to a world without your person, and connecting and moving forward simultaneously. So I hope this list works as mental Velcro for you. None of this happens overnight. It's a process you have to get uh, comfortable in. You will go uh, through the cycle. You might be at one at one point, at four, at three, at two. All of, you'll be going through them. So first, accepting the reality. So we must accept the reality that this individual is gone. It's a difficult task, especially if your every moment was stamped by their memory. We talked earlier about everything having a season. Only God knows that season. Accepting the reality of a loss is the process of recognizing that God is in control and releasing our grip on the reins. Psalms 34, 18 grants comfort in knowing the Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He saves those crushed in spirit, so he hears your cry and he's here for you. Just accept his plan as a good plan. Two, to processing the pain. The most impactful scripture I can imagine here is our text. Jesus wept. Processing the pain looks like actually feeling it. If Jesus was able to process his loss by actually feeling it, why shouldn't we? Blessed are they who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Allow God to comfort you, but also allow the comfort from your village. Uh, a picture popped up this week of our Brooklyn, and uh, my husband shared how, you know, we miss our Brookie, but at the same time, we were overwhelmed with appreciation to those who had accompanied, accompanied us on our Brooklyn journey. All of you were those true armor bearers who were holding up our, our arms when we grew tired and weary and weak. So thank you for that. Open up to your village. Talk, talk, talk about it. Talk about your pain, talk about the good times, talk about the bad times, talk about everything. Get with people who can hear your story without getting bored. That may be a good friend, it might be a grief group, it might be even your pastor or a good grief therapist. Don't allow your mind to wander and to stick on those toxic thoughts because the enemy will do that. Recognize God asks you to give all your worries to him because he cares for you. The minute you come with a repentant heart, he's forgiven you. He knows the pain associated uh, with the choice that you made. Did I say he's forgiven you? Now forgive yourself. Forgive yourself. Forgive yourself. The enemy would love for you to dwell in the darkness of that choice. 
God came to give you life and that more abundantly. He is the son in whom the son sets free is free indeed. Then adjusting to a world without your person. This means grappling with adjustments in your external, internal, and spiritual world. So how has this impacted you and your worldview? Whatever the choice was, whatever the issue that you're holding on to, how has it impacted all of that? What new tasks and responsibilities do you have? Uh, what new uh, view of life do you have without your person here, without their presence? What is your new title change? Did you go from wife to widow, husband to widower, mother to mother of the deceased? What is your new normal? For me, spiritual, I was, spiritually, I was mad at God. I, I, I can say that. He has big pants and he can take it. I was angry. I could not believe that this little warrior could be taken out of here. I had to grapple with that. People were, you know, they were so amazed at our unwavering faith. How do you keep the faith? Well, I just knew her testimony was going to be this powerful thing that was going to bring people to Christ. And it was, and she did in her little 21 months. But I had a plan, and I didn't follow his, his plan. He says he knows the plans he has for each and every one of us to give us a hope and a future. And I wanted to rewrite the book. Recognizing once again that God is in control was vital. Uh, lastly, connecting and moving forward. And this is the, I think this is probably the hardest part is being able to move on with life after your person is gone. Making meaning of that person's impact on your life while also continuing to live in honor of their death is powerful. This can look different for many people. This can be the memorial activity, the celebrations, uh, different ways of holding on, but it also includes moving on and letting go. The new surroundings, new house, new friends, new job or career plan in honor of that person. Uh, Taya, my daughter, uh, Brooklyn's mother, now wants to be a nurse because of her experience. What a wonderful gift to Brooklyn's life. The new attachments, plans, ideas, adventures, and the new life that comes about because of the loss. Isaiah reminds us that God will do a new thing, and I promise you, he will make a way in the wilderness and the waters if you allow him. You'll never forget, but you can live again. So the most important point I want to leave with you for this Sanctity of Life weekend is that all of the issues involve other humans, humanity. So before you go out with your cause, your belief, your protest, remember the humanity of it. Grief needs grace. Remember the difficulty it takes to make some of these choices and to narrow our focus on abortion. Remember the majority of women in that uh, abortion clinic are struggling with their choice. Instead of a picket sign, maybe provide a place to stay for a young woman trying to make that choice for life. Provide consistent child care or uh, some type of financial support to help them making that choice. Mentor a young couple you know is struggling or battling with this horrible decision, whether they're married or not. We know it's sin, but we know it's happening. You would be surprised how many people are sitting in an abortion clinic trying to hide their sin from us. This cycle is not working. So, if you know a young woman or a man who's struggling as a single parent who has made the choice for life, do the same. Reach out. Don't give them judgment and all of that stuff. 
give them the love and the grace that they need to be able to make that wonderful choice for life. So the sanctity of life struggle, unfortunately, has become a battle of wits instead of a battle of warmth. You may say you don't know anybody to help, but ask God and know that he will bring them along your path. It's up to you to pay attention. In the meantime, share your resources with people and places that are reaching out. Uh, There's the Women's Choice Network. There's our NEST. There's the Christian Counselors Collaborative. Our own Sharon White has a grief share and a widow's group. And there are so many more. Please reach out. And let's not forget the men involved. I haven't forgotten you. Men who have been, are, or will be in this situation, I asked you specifically, what will you allow yourself to feel? There are men struggling behind their macho, manly persona when really they're imagining what life would be like with all their children. To shift from wits to warmth, we have to give the head and the heart level standing in order to see the sanctity of human life God's way. We call that integration. So the next time you're tempted to judge the situation of another, I just ask that you weigh all of the angles. And remember, as powerful and mighty as Jesus is, even he was human enough to take a moment to weep. So where you see grief, please offer grace. Offer it to both you and to others. Trust God that he definitely has a plan for all that is occurring. And since he brought you to it, he will bring you through it. Allow me to pray. Father God, we thank you for this time. And we ask you to uh, truly dive into every heart that you spoke to today. You have your way in the brokenness. You bring healing to each individual that needs it. We thank you for that in advance. And we lost a good ACAC family member this week. Um, She posted a message. And in that message, there was a wonderful song. And it goes perfectly with this sanctity of life weekend. It is, I'll trust you. And I'm just going to, as he plays the song, I'm just going to read the words and it says, I know how bad it hurts you when that loved one's life came to an end. And when they had to leave you, you said you'd never love again. But will you trust that I can help you and I'll never turn away? Will you trust me, child, no matter come what may? What if it hurts? What if you cry? What if it doesn't work out the first time that you try? What if you call my name and don't feel me near? Will you believe in me or will you fear? Thank you.